Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast, where I seek the uh, expertise and guidance and insight from everyday leaders shining among us. And today's special guest is Caroline Melli. She is an experienced strategist helping businesses improve their experiences that they offer employees and guests. And she's on a mission to create the next generation of emotionally intelligent leaders. She's also toured the world with Cirque du Soleil for 10 years, leading over 70 teams in seven different countries and has traveled to 42 different countries. So I'm so excited to talk to you today, Caroline. Hi, nice to be. I'm excited to be here. Let's jump into it. Yeah. So you know what? Episodes like this, where I get to just talk to a complete stranger who feels like a kindred spirit. We've connected um, by phone a few days ago and this is almost indulgent for me. I get to <laughs> ask you so many questions and learn about your life. And I'm super fascinated by the experience you've had. It seems like you've just, you live such a free lifestyle. And, and by free, I mean, very independent, on the go, very traveled. So explain to me what that's like. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you bring that up initially because this is the first year that I have not felt that freedom, obviously, with all the restrictions that we have in the world. And I didn't realize how, I didn't realize almost like what I had and and how I did live my life in that way, being very free in my decision making and what I wanted to do and the next steps that I wanted to make and being kind of locked down and being not able to travel as freely in this past year has made me really realize like, wow, that is a huge part of not only my life, but how, what I associate with, you know, being successful, being happy, you know, being motivated and focused, it's, it, it's all encompassing. And when that element is removed, it's a very interesting dynamic because that has been my life for the last, let's say, 15 years, even though I grew up traveling with my family, you know, so once that's been taken away, I'm kind of like, wow, okay, this is a huge element of my life that even though I knew was there, I didn't realize mentally how much I depended on that freedom. Yeah. Are you noticing any other like results from that? Are you having the itch to get out and how are you coping through that? Yeah. So actually, as we speak, I'm currently in Montenegro and I am moving to Greece in the next two months. And I am actually moving to set up a base there. And I I was joking with my best friend before this call, I will be turning 36 next month and I have never rented an apartment before in my life. And so this will be the first time that I do that. Something that most people do, you know, in their early 20s. And now I'm doing it for the first time as a, as a 36-year-old because I've always lived in hotels and Airbnbs and traveling. So it's it's definitely, you know, it still keeps me excited. And I think I have the luxury of being in the Mediterranean, being in Europe. So I do still have the ability to travel. Uh, you know, my parents are in Australia and, you know, I won't be seeing them for, for at least another year or so. It's a lot stricter there. So I do have that a little bit of leeway there, but yeah, it's, it's made me realize in this last year that I definitely need a base. I've been thinking that for a number of years now, but I've kind of pushed that feeling aside when something else exciting comes, you know, comes around the corner. And this last year doing lockdowns in four different Airbnbs in the south of France and then moving and not having any belongings. And it made me realize like, okay, okay, Caroline, now it's time to kind of set a base. And I chose Greece to to make that happen. So yeah, uh-huh. I'm very excited. And, and what is it like in Greece right now? I mean, how has 
it been for you as you're traveling still through different countries, despite the COVID lockdowns and despite the the safety measures? Has that been impacted in any way? Yeah, so I'm not in Greece yet. I was there last summer for a few weeks. Oh, where did you uh, say you were right now? Montenegro. Oh, Montenegro, Montenegro. So I'm sorry. A okay. bit higher up, a bit higher okay. up. Uh, Yeah, so of course it's affected. I mean, the ability to travel right now is definitely a lot different. And I do live quite as social as I am and as much as my work involves a lot of people and leading teams and stuff like that. Personally, I do live quite a hermit kind of lifestyle. And so day to day for me here is is pretty, I would say, normal in the sense of, uh, you know, just day to day. However, I'm not in the place that that I want to be in. And so that that definitely affects me on a day to day basis. But Greece is is right now, like everywhere else in Europe, one minute, you know, it's going crazy. The next minute it's okay. And we're all very much on edge over here in Europe because we have the European summer coming up right now, which is crucial, a crucial element of the entire Mediterranean, the entire European culture and tourism. And, and, uh, obviously from a financial point of view as well. So as we hit this kind of next wave of the virus, hopefully it will, won't last as long as, uh, as the other ones. So we can get back to our Mediterranean summer that we all love. Let's talk about your professional journey a bit and how you've ended where you are. Yeah, so I did spend 10 years on tour with Cirque du Soleil and, and, you know, I've been very reflective lately as I think a lot of us have been over our journeys in the last, uh, in the last years. And, you know, I travel, I was traveling full time non- nonstop and I was working in the front of house team. So I, I, I did a number of different uh, jobs there, but I really focused on the VIP experiences. And that's where I found that I really, really loved. I really loved that element of the guest experience journey at Cirque du Soleil. And so I came and went a number of times to, to that company and, and that lifestyle. It's a very addictive lifestyle once you, once you get in there. So sometimes it's very hard to leave. But I've always been very career-focused just in terms of ambition. And they got to a point where many times that I just felt that I wasn't being pushed and challenged. So as great as the lifestyle was, I needed to, to move on and do something else. And one of those moments, uh, I actually, yeah, became the assistant cruise director on, running the entertainment department on a cruise ship, which had never been on my radar before. I was kind of scouted for it in a roundabout way. And I didn't know what to expect. I'd, ne- you know, like I, that was not my world. And even as a traveler, I'd never, I'd never gone on a cruise. And I found a lot of similarities in what I was doing at Cirque du Soleil and, and what the cruise ship uh, was like in terms of the entertainment department. And so, I even though it wasn't, it wasn't the environment for me, and I wouldn't do it again. I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity because I, I, I learned how to use my skill set in, in a completely different way, almost. And so, I, on top of that, I've also I was living in Portugal for a while, helping on some entrepreneurial projects, and now in the last year, I, I really decided, okay, let's give the solopreneur journey a go. Let's try and figure out how my skills, how my talents can translate into a service, you know, and how I can support myself through that without going back and working full-time necessarily, especially because my industries of entertainment, events, travel, lifestyle, they're, they're the events, right? They're, they're yeah. the, the industries that that suffered the most. And so it's been a very long journey. I mean, it's been a year, right, of me trying to figure out what that looks like. And I've done a number of coaching programs. I've met some incredible people that have ended up being mentors to me. And, and I've also tried a lot of things, you know, and some things I loved and really worked and I stuck with. 
other things I tried and everyone told me that that's what I should be doing and I hated doing it. And so I scrapped that. And now it's only now one year later that I feel like, okay, I, I've got it. I found my jam. I found what works. I found what I, what the strategies that I actually like using. And that is where I'm kind of building from there. So uh, it's pretty exciting at the moment, but it has taken a year of, of trial and error of really having to talk myself into believing in myself, you know, waking mm-hmm. up each day thinking I'm never going to be able to make this happen. You know, I'm, I'm, nobody's going to hire me. Who's going to pay me to do this? Exactly. You know, and, and I think we, I think, I, I mean, your listeners, I'm sure everyone's nodding their head like, yeah, that's me. That's me. And it's sometimes even just waking up and like having to sit there and go, come on, Caroline. Okay. Let's get going. Let's try to make something happen. Just, just don't give up, keep going, keep going. And eventually it, it'll pan out. So I, I have really had to put a lot of faith in that process. And I, find now one year later that I'm slowly starting to see a little bit of momentum in that, in that regard. So yeah. And you talk about the creating amazing experiences and I'm an experienced person. I like to turn everything I do into an experience, right? Because it just makes it more palatable, more fun, more memorable, more exciting. And what's life if we just can't enjoy the moment, can't enjoy the experience. So talk to me about you know, you, you mentioned the VIP experience as being something that you love, but what is, when you talk about, you know, creating amazing experiences, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So this is kind of my favorite field. And what was really interesting in this journey that I just mentioned is I realized that I didn't necessarily want to sit in a particular industry or a particular field. What I cared most about was the experience itself. And as a traveler, I felt like I was constantly in new experiences, new situations, and I was constantly telling myself, oh, gosh, if they had only done this little thing or if they had just changed that, oh, gosh, this has so much potential, this experience, if only, if only, if only, if only, right? And I was constantly in that, in that mindset and I thought, you know what? I'm going to focus on the experience. It, do, it doesn't matter if you're selling pens or if you're running a retreat. It's, it's about the experience that you want to create for your guests. And so that is really the driving force behind everything that I'm doing. And, and what's been really interesting in that process is, you know, I have a, a YouTube channel called The Experience Creators where I interview experienced creators from all over the world. And, you know, I interviewed a magician recently, the episode that just dropped. And then today I interviewed a Paralympic swimmer. And so I'm interviewing people from completely different walks of life, expertises from all over the world. And one of my main questions to them is what elements make an incredible experience? And I think sometimes when we're creating an experience or we're part of creating the creative process, we don't think about that question necessarily. I think we think a lot about the operations and about the experience that we want to create, but we don't necessarily think too in too much detail what is the feeling that you want your guests to have? How, what is the transformation that you're trying to achieve? And no matter where my guest comes from, no matter what their expertise is or what their, what world they kind of exist in, their answers always come down to four main elements, even if they say them in different ways. So it's personalization, uh, connection or, or a sense of belonging to something, 
memorability and shareability. So I love asking that question because I just can't wait for them to say something for me. Go, yes, tick. <laughs> <That's definitely. laughs> shareability. And they, yeah. Yes. And, they all, and they all do it. And so it's a really, really interesting journey. You know, with this Paralympic swimmer, we were speaking about the Paralympic Games, something that we watch on TV, but we don't necessarily have any insight into what that experience is actually like. And so that is why I love focusing on the experience itself. And that is where I see my value and how I'm helping other people really create more impact for them, whatever that means for them. If it's financial success, if it's impact in terms of transformation, if it's impact in terms of creating a better team, if we're looking at employee experience. So uh, I just, I absolutely love it. And I love, I love every element that goes into to that question, what elements make an incredible experience. It's, it's very thought provoking. And I don't think we think about it enough. Okay. So you said personalization, connection, sense of belonging. Was that the same as connection? Yeah. I mean, you can kind of put them in the same category, depending on what your experience is. And then, uh, and then memorable and then shareability. Yeah, exactly. That's the four, the four commonalities that continue to roll up. So personalization would be um, finding out what's unique about the individual, what their objective is, their transformation goals, and then tailoring the experience to fit that. Yeah. And that, and I think sometimes when we think about these things, we get overwhelmed because we overcomplicate it. Right. And we think, oh my gosh, how am I going to, how am I going to checkmark all of these boxes? Exactly. Especially if you're, if you're by yourself or you may have limited funds or resources and your, your size, the people that you're trying to serve is really big. And I'll give you the perfect example. I recently signed up for a course creators bootcamp because I am launching my leadership program for, for young leaders. And it's through a course creator platform. And as soon as I purchased, probably a couple of hours later, I received an email, you know, welcome, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a video and the video was one of the coaches saying, hey, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Like, we're so excited to have you as part of the Course Creators family. We can't wait, blah, blah, blah. But it was addressed to me. It was a video addressed to me. It was about 20 seconds long. It was nothing crazy. And that is such a simple tool, but that created a lot of impact in me. I was already like, whoa, like they already know who I am. This is really cool. Like, okay, let me, let me already like dive in. And it created a lot of buzz and excitement for me personally. So that's a really easy example and a very simple example of how you can do something very small that can actually create a a lot of impact. And I think sometimes you won't realize the impact, right? Like I didn't reach out, even though, even though it probably would be a great idea. I didn't reach out straight away going, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. That was amazing. Like you have no idea, like how much that touched me. Sometimes you just almost have to trust that, that process that adding that touch of personalization will actually work and will actually create something, some form of again, connection, some form of feeling. And that is the, that's the magic of personalization. Mm. And you talk about that, your better, your leadership program. Mm. What, what does that include? What's your role in crafting that experience? And, and you said you work with individuals and, and organizations. So who do you look for specifically and what can they expect from the, the program that you're providing? Yeah, so the program is specifically designed for those young leaders that are stepping into the workforce. So they're in their first usually one to five years of being in the workforce, of having their first jobs. And now they're kind of stepping into maybe a leadership role, you know, maybe they're a team leader, maybe they've been promoted to a supervisor, who knows. And I really, that is really my niche there. 
And the whole reason, it's very personal, the reason I created this. And it's because when I was that age, I was always so ambitious. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to, to go further. I wanted to go faster in, in my progression. And I was never part of jobs and organizations and companies that had anything in place for people like me that wanted to just, just go, you know? Dive in, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just never had that. And I would even go and like beg to my bosses, like, I found this program, like, can you fund it? Like, put me in it. Like, I'm ready, you know? And it, it was never... I never had the opportunity and it was such a shame. And I, and I think about it a lot. It's affected me a lot, both in good and bad ways, because obviously now, now I'm creating, now I've created a program. And so I say it's the program I wish I would have had when, when I was first starting out. So it's very, very near and dear to, you know, everything that I love about leadership and also the personalized journey when you're first starting out. And it really, it starts off with self-leadership. And I think as a 20 year old, how many 20 year olds can say that they learn about, you know, things like growth mindset versus fixed mindset, who, who learn about triggers and how they can really identify their own triggers, how they show up every day. Like we don't get taught that very early on. I feel like we experience it, then it becomes an issue. And then we try to Google learn it. Like it. what the yeah. heck is going on here? <laughs> or, or you become an executive and that's when you get the training, when you're like, in your thirties or forties. Right. Yeah. So I think there's such a miss there. And I think if we're able to tap into that younger market, who are these incredible, ambitious up and coming leaders, if we don't just dismiss their journey and say, Oh, well, they're just starting out. They're going to leave anyway to move on to something else. It's such a common, a common conversation. Right. But if we actually invest in them, we can actually, in my opinion, I think we can create just so so that's why I say I, I really want to create the next generation of emotionally intelligent leaders. Imagine if you're 20 or, you know, if you are 20 years old, you're the team leader of a new team and you are highly aware of your own triggers, of your own mindset, of your own daily habits. Like that would be an incredible leader to be under, especially for, for younger people kind of looking up to them. So that is really, really what I focus on. And what you're saying is so true, right? Because what you're saying is as a young leader who's rising and growing, you don't always get the investment that a more senior leader in the organization will get, right? And so maybe you don't have the career coach yet or the retreat opportunities or the, the meetings that you want to be in, but how do you still gain those, those leadership skills, the business acumen, the executive functioning skills and, and sharpen those without that investment. And and I think what you're saying is that investment is necessary and it's crucial. And if we can start focusing on that for a younger audience who's ambitious and driven and motivated, that the results will pay dividends um, for the organization and the individual. And it will just help strengthen teams altogether. At my organization currently, I asked something similar about three years ago, I asked to go to a Tony Robbins conference Mm. and it was the Unleash Your Power. And everybody, you know, I felt like everybody around me was thinking I was crazy. And I I was like, I really think that this is useful and beneficial. And my boss gave me the green light and I was able to attend and it completely transformed the way that I 
I looked at myself, the leadership lens that I looked through others and and helped ignite something within me that then perpetuated yeah. when I got back more motivation, more resolve, more ability to, to persevere. And I think that's what you're speaking to is just the power of learning from other people while also taking in an experience that makes it memorable. So that way you you actually retain what you're learning and then apply it when you get back. So who have been those mentors and those leaders for you? Where did you gain the curriculum for this program? Was it a, you know, a few books or other conferences or other people? How did you craft this and make it your own? So it started with my own leadership journey. I think it's very important. I think oftentimes as leaders, we almost dismiss our own leadership journey because we think other people are not going to be interested, you know, and when you're standing in front of people that are looking up to you, where, that they're they're being guided by you, that, that you're the decision maker, I think it's important that they know your story, that they know where you've come from and, and, and how you're in this position. Because a lot of times they will see themselves in you like, I want to be in that position. How did they get there? And so I started with my own experience and I have a very unique experience. You know, I led teams in 17 different countries and there's so much power in that story, but also so much power in that experience because one thing, you know, one strategy that worked in one country, I'd moved two months later to a new country and I had to completely toss it out the window and start again because they didn't respond to it. And so it was, I kind of think of it as a 10 year, like leadership playground, like a global leadership playground all around the world. And so I started with my own journey and I think there's so much power in, in that. And I think if you're, if you're looking to create something, even just something inspiring for your own team, maybe you want to create a workshop, maybe you want to just create some kind of resource for them. First, I think it's starting with your own journey. It's, it's an incredible place to start because they'll naturally be curious about your, your own story. So that's really where I started. And by that, you mean sharing your own journey and story to your team? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because, you know, I, I remember every time that I got a new team at Cirque du Soleil every two months, first question everyone always asked me was, how did you become a manager? It's exciting. It's a whole new world. Cirque du Soleil, like how on earth do you get to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone's very curious about that. And so I was able to share that story. When I worked on the cruise ship, I had never been on a cruise ship in my life, as I mentioned. So everyone was really confused. How because it's very, the cruise world, from what I, my understanding in, in being there, it's very hierarchical. You kind of make, you work your way up, you know, it's very old school. Mm-hmm. And so for someone like me to come in, never have stepping, never have stepped foot on a cruise ship to now be leading the department, everyone was like, who is what, this girl? Who are you? <laughs> who are you? Where did you come from? And how on earth did you get that role? And of course, I use that to my advantage. I use that as a positive and it, were, it ended up working amazingly. We had, I had a great relationship with my team. But again, that's, there's so much power in, in that journey. And so I think A, story, from the storytelling point of view, but B, from the strategy point of view, I have a lot of insights into how to lead teams in different countries, how to lead teams when you have a language barrier, you know, how to lead teams when your guests are constantly changing. And I really focus specifically on service industries. And so that is the reality of most service industries. Your guests are constantly changing. So I developed the curriculum based on my own my own story, my own experience, and also the things that I was passionate about. I knew I wanted to focus on self-leadership. So there's three main sections. It's leading yourself, leading your team, and then leading your guests. And that 
progression from the first one up until the third one, that really hit me in the face actually one day here in Montenegro when when I was uh, at a restaurant, which seems like a lifetime ago because the restaurants have been closed for a very long time now. But I was sitting there and the service was absolutely terrible and the food was okay. But there was this one waiter who was amazing, like who kept coming over and, and they were just, they were like a, the shining light, the energy bundle in that entire team. The rest were shocking. Uh-huh. And I was thinking to myself, wow, you can't, if you focus solely on the customer service, like the experience of your guests, but your team completely suck, then you're never going to, you're never going to get there. You're never going to achieve the goal of creating an incredible experience. Now, if you have an incredible team, but you're a terrible leader, again, there's a disconnect, right? Even if they're the most amazing waiters and waitresses, if you're going to get frustrated with you, <laughs> you don't lead them well, there's no way they're going to provide that great service. So it was honestly sitting in that restaurant, looking around going, oh my gosh, like what a link. Like I never thought of it in that way before. And so that's where the link in my program came about. And so then once I figured all of that out, then it was about me diving into books. I talk about philosophy, you know, ancient philosophers. I look at different things like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And and I dove in and did my own research so that I could back up all the things that I was saying. Cause I think it's one thing to be able to tell your story and share your own experience. And that's very important. But then also you have to be able to provide, I think, some real meat to the content as well. And so that, yeah, that was the process. And out of that, what are some common main leadership nuggets that, that stick with you? So when you're coaching a person, let's just start with the individual and they just want to get better at self-leadership. Maybe they haven't shared their story or aren't at that position, but they're trying to grow into that senior leader role and they're just developing their leadership. What are some tips or offerings that you can share that you've noticed work across the spectrum? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is probably around giving and receiving feedback. It's actually one of the the modules in the program and it's something we all struggle with, right? Yeah. No matter no matter yeah, no one wants to hear anything bad about yourself or <laughs> Yeah, and also it's hard to tell people, you know, and it's 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 also we're dealing with humans. We're humans dealing with humans. We don't, we have no idea what the reaction is going to be. You can, you you know, you can have said the conversation again and again, going to sleep and then waking up, but then you're standing in front of the person and you say it and they react in a completely different way than you. And so I think you almost, you never know what you're going to get. So, you know, in that module in particular, I talk about let's implement a couple of strategies that you can use no matter what the conversation is, you know, and the first one is, for example, actually listening to them. So once you've given the feedback, no matter what it is, actually just letting them go, letting them speak, you know, and, and, and really actually listening, not getting too caught up by emotions. And of course that works for receiving feedback and giving feedback. That's why they're in the same module, but starting with that, you know, and then the second, the second strategy there and the second tip there is, ask questions, whether you're giving or receiving feedback, ask questions, because it is very important that the two people in that, in in that situation walk away from that experience, 
on the same page. It doesn't mean you have to agree with each other. Of course, if you're receiving bad feedback, you're probably not going to be like, oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. Like, yeah, thank you. you that, that would be the, that would be the perfect outcome, right? Yeah. Uh, but so not necessarily agreeing with each other, but being on the same page in terms of the next step. So asking lots of questions, you know, and then making sure before you leave that conversation, there's an action plan. And this is where this idea of being on the same page comes in. So, okay, this is the situation. You've said your bit. I've said my bit. We're asking each other questions. What is our action plan? When are we checking back in with each other? How are we tracking this progression of whatever the issue may be? So even though if you're, you're not in agreement in terms of the, maybe the actual behavior, at least you're very much on the same page in the next steps. And that is how you're actually going to move out of that negative situation, right? And go into a positive. So that is one area that I feel translates very well in these young leaders because it's, it's very strategic and they, I feel like they can grab a hold of it. And no matter what the, what the conversation is, no matter what the situation is, they, they can actually be translated in terms of their own reality in that moment. So, so that's the first thing that comes to mm. mind around giving and receiving feedback. Very, not, not easy at all. <laughs> not easy, but it's important. You must yes. seek feedback and then listen to understand. You don't have to have an agreement, but the understanding is what's I think so important important. And so mm-hmm. those clarifying questions help uh, get to the point of, of, of clarity uh, for both people to at least understand one another and then apply that going forward. So let's talk about Cirque du Soleil. Okay. <laughs> what did you do there? How did you get there? And what did you love about it? Yeah. See, I told you people are curious. It's, uh, yeah. it's always really interesting part of the story. I want to know about yeah. Cirque du Soleil. I want to know about the cruise life. I want to know about countries so much. So, so Cirque du Soleil for me, so th- just to give you a snapshot of, of from an operational point of view, uh, every tour, every show has a front of house team that basically runs the front of house operations, anything to do with the guests. So within that team, there is eight to 10 t- supervisors, managers, and they run a myriad of different departments. So the hospitality department, you know, the bars, the boutique, the box office, inside the actual big top in the show, the ushers. And uh, so I actually did, I I started in food and beverage and I started as a local. So every city that we went to, we go to, we hire about a hundred locals to work for us with the main reason being, there's two main reasons. The first is it's very important that our staff speak the same language as they, as the guests. So say for example, in North America, it's not so much an issue because it is the same main language spoken everywhere. So no matter what country you come from, even as long as you speak English, you're fine. However, when you get to Europe, for example, and you're changing countries and languages very, very quickly, it's important to have the local staff. So they're able to connect with the guests and able to serve the guests in the best way. And then obviously a big part of Cirque du Soleil is actually putting back into the economy that they're, that they're currently in, right? So providing 100 jobs for a couple of months is, is one way they do that. So I was running those teams in many different shows all over the world. And, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned that after, after doing all the things, I found that I loved the VIP the most, the VIP salons, the VIP events, and that's really where I spent my, the, the, you know, especially the last couple of years. And I started just by in Brisbane, Australia. That's where I was, uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, they came one year and I started working behind the bar there and, uh, and, and did really well. And a couple of years later, they came back and I made the, you know, I networked kind of my way in and then I did a really great job. 
And uh, there happened to be a full-time position open. And that was kind of my in to Cirque du Soleil. And, and I've left and come back, you know, three times and done a bunch of other things, but it'll always be a huge part of my, my story, uh, especially from a work point of view, I guess from a, a life point of view as well, you know, living in hotels, traveling the world for 10 so years. are you traveling by yourself? You're traveling generally with the group. So on tour, you have a hundred-ish people that, that are touring full-time. Let's say 40 of those are artists, 60 of those are everyone else, technicians, you know, immigration, front of house, all the different departments. And so we travel as a troupe generally together, move from city to city together. And then before and after Cirque du Soleil, because you've been to 42 countries, uh, do you travel to yourself primarily to those or do you always have a partner or a group of friends that you go with? I'm a very solo traveler, like so solo traveler. Like I, I like to go and visit people for a predetermined amount of time, but I'm very scared. I mean, I don't think that I've been in I haven't been in countries that I would that I would classify as quite dangerous, especially for like a female solo traveler. Like I never was in that environment, but I also was traveling. I, I once you start traveling and you become very good at it, and, and you've been traveling for a while, I feel like your your intuition leads the way, and your I think you're you're able to really lead through intuition and just really thrive in those environments. You know, when I was not moving, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I need to get moving again after a couple of months. I'd be dying to go. So, yeah, I I, I was traveling always by myself, but, but visiting people that I knew in all the places. And, uh, you know, my father's French and my mother, she's from New Zealand. I was born in New Zealand. So I, I had a very multicultural upbringing and we were always traveling early on. So it's almost in my blood, I, I say sometimes, you know, I, I was born traveling in a way. So it's not like I would, I never traveled. And then all of a sudden I traveled. It was just always part of who I was as a person. What do your parents uh, say about your lifestyle? Are they supportive? Are they happy for you? Do you have any siblings as well? Yeah, they, I mean, you know, as I just mentioned, that's, that's a part of our family dynamic in general. Their story is really interesting. They got married in New Zealand. They left the next day on their honeymoon and they came back two years later, you know, so (laughs) they kind of started that, that love of travel and that really extended to myself. And then also I do have two younger sisters that are also travelers as well. So it's just part of our, it's part of our family makeup. It's, it's, you know, for my, I think my parents would get worried if I wasn't traveling. (laughs) (laughs) What do you know about people for sure, right? You've had the opportunity to meet so many different people across the spectrum, cultures and there's a lot of times we focus on language barriers or what divides us or differences in cultures, but what did, what have you learned about people that you know for sure? Hmm, that's a great question. I think that we are all looking for some form of connection and we're all looking to be understood in some way. And, you know, you bring up that language as the perfect example. Even if we can't communicate with each other verbally, we always find a way to communicate in some other fashion. And, you know, it's been really funny here in Montenegro. I don't speak Montenegrin at all. And because we're, we're wearing masks all the time, I cannot rely on the bottom half of my face to get across my message. 
And that's been really interesting because usually, you know, I can smile, I can kind of laugh, I can, I can sh- almost show my personality, I guess, through my mouth, which is such a strange concept. And if there was no masks involved, I think I never would have thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. But here it's been really interesting because I cannot communicate verbally at all. Like I speak a couple of languages, so usually I'm able to communicate in some form of another. But here it's, there's not even, I know like a couple, three words maybe, and that's it. And so it's like, how can I communicate with you respectfully so that you feel respected by me and that we're able to form some kind of connection, even though we don't understand each other at all. And so that's been a really interesting process, especially with the, with the advent of the mask. But it really, I feel like no matter where I am in the world, no matter where I'm traveling, we're all start we're all just searching for that connection and I think we're all very curious you know I it's it's so interesting we ask each other questions we want to know we want to know what different experiences were like and not only that but how we experienced similar things we all have different different you know I grew up in Australia but I don't want to go back there and live there and I don't even necessarily consider myself Australian it's just a feeling but yet for some people, Australia is the dream country that that's where they want to go. <laughs> that's my dream country. I want to go to Australia so bad. <laughs> yeah, see? And so we, we both have an experience with that country, although very, very different. And so I think that's what I would say about uh, human nature in general is we're very curious. Whether we act on that curiosity, I think sometimes we don't and it's a bit of a shame, but cur- very curious we're really striving for some form of connection. They're, they're, I think, my two. And I like how you said, though, despite language barriers or inability to seemingly connect and communicate, if they if the barriers exist, there's still other ways that you're able mm. to get through. Despite oh, yeah. all the countries you've traveled, you've been able to get through and travel and meet people and connect. And I think that's that's very assuring to to know. Well, um, even, uh, you know, when I was in Russia with Cirque du Soleil, I don't speak Russian. I can speak a couple words of Russian, but I cannot communicate in Russian. And I definitely cannot lead a team in Russian. And I was leading a team through a translator, which was an incredibly like overwhelming, eye-opening you know, lesson learning experience on a day-to-day basis. However, I will say at the end of those three months, even though I could not communicate with my team and for the most part, we were using Google Translate on our phones, like just showing it to each other, we had a great connection by the end. And it was sad to leave them at the end because of the bond that we'd formed, even though we couldn't necessarily have a conversation even after three months. So there's a lot of power in other elements of communication. And I think especially if you've always been in an environment where where you're, you're communicating only in your first language, you know, Australia speaking English, America speaking English, you don't understand the power of that necessarily until you've been put in those different environments. So I always love having conversations with people that have never traveled outside of their country or they've never been around people with different languages. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we just wait. Yeah. yeah, the world is waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned before about the magic of experiences is getting lost. I think you mentioned this on, on the call when we had before. And that that stuck with me because I agree with you. I think the magic of experiences are getting lost. Where have you seen that and what makes you think that? So I started to realize that let's say six months ago through the entire 2020, I felt like 
we were so focused on hardship and negativity, isolation, polarity, especially in the States, you know, and, and it was, it was so interesting to watch how reactive everybody was and how, how people were not taking the effort to actually, to actually just make these little things. Like we, we talked about personalization before, just doing these little tiny things for other people. Even when you think of things like the act of kindness, you know, I think a lot of that was almost just being forgotten in the craziness that we have just experienced in, in the last year, 18 months. And that's when I realized, okay, I want to create something that brings that magic back because experiences are very beautiful. Even if it's going to the supermarket, you know, you might have the most amazing experience that, that transforms your day with the cashier at the supermarket, putting, you know, ringing up your bill, or it could be a lot more, it could be something like a, a full-on retreat, a full-on concert, a, a Cirque du Soleil show, you know, a, a trip. I think the spectrum is so large. And I think that it was just getting a little bit lost, I would say, in, in all the craziness. So I was like, okay, I want to do something about this. There's a lot of power in, in the small details and the small experiences. So let's explore that and let's see how we can shift a little bit the attention on really creating impact in the smallest ways because they will obviously compound. Carolina, I wish you the best of luck. And if you're ever in Chicago, please hit me up. <laughs> we have definitely to won't be there between the months of what, September and March. <laughs> I have a short window to go. I'm such a sun baby growing up in Australia. I avoid all places that drop below. Well, I don't know in, in Fahrenheit, but that get really cold. <laughs> okay. So like you're talking like May through August. Okay. <laughs> But when you come, please let me know. We'd, I'd love to connect. Absolutely. Thank you for your time and good Thanks. luck. And I, I wish you the best and, and safe travels as you continue about. Thank you so much. It's been so good to chat with you. I've loved it. And where can people find you? Yeah, so The Experience Creators is on YouTube. And then carolinemaley.com is where you can get all the rest of the links. It's just my full name spelled out. I'm sure you can check the spelling in this podcast. And that's where I hang out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.